Welcome to Advocacy Week. I'm Ryan Hunt, Executive Director of the BC Museums Association. With BC local government elections coming up on October 15th, 2022, the BCMA, BC Alliance for Arts and Culture, and Arts BC are discussing all things advocacy. In this special Advocacy Week podcast, I speak with Marika Edmondson, Strategic Advisor for Local Governments at the Ministry of Municipal Affairs. The BCMA has asked members for questions they have about how local governments work in British Columbia. Join Marika and me as we discuss everything from what's a regional district, to the importance of building relationship with local government staff, to why local government elections happen all at the same time. Marika, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the role of local governments in our province, how they work, and really explore this topic in a bit more detail, because I think that of all the branches of government, local governments can be the least understood by people. So I really appreciate having you here to share your expertise with us today. I'm very happy to be here, Ryan. It's a topic that I find endlessly fascinating. I agree with you that people bring a lot of uncertainty and assumptions about local governments and they play such a pivotal role in services and fostering community identity and dialogue. So in talking to a lot of arts, culture, and heritage organizations, there's a lot of organizations that have really strong ongoing relationships with local government, but there's also a lot who haven't really invested the time in building those relationships and Getting started, opening a door to dialogue with local governments can feel daunting or even a bit of a mystery. Broadly speaking, how can local governments and arts, culture, and heritage organizations work with and support each other? One of the things to understand is that local governments can really provide a very broad range of services, although there are very few that are strictly required. It really depends on the quality and quantity of services that the council or the regional district believe the community is prepared to pay for. And sometimes the amount of accountability or control that the council and board will have over how money that they need to seek from the taxpayers will ultimately be spent. So I, I imagine that the golden ticket for the arts and culture sector is interested in would be levying taxes to contribute directly to arts and cultural organizations. But that's not at all the only way that local governments can support the sector. In many communities, they're actively engaged in providing facilities that can host exhibit spaces of programming. They host community events, and it's a great opportunity for partnerships and amplifying awareness of the arts and culture organizations in their communities. They can encourage private investments in arts and culture as part of land development, community building. A tremendous influence when someone wants increased density or change in use to, sit, to talk about what the built environment needs to include in order to have a vibrant and that includes the agriculture sector. They can be involved in supporting tourism initiatives and economic development services that drive traffic to your exhibit spaces. And some of them even provide capacity building services for community groups through volunteer management opportunities, training, or grant writing services. It's easy to think of support in a very narrow financial term, but there's also a lot of opportunities for cost-saving or an enhanced opportunities when it services and programming. Things that make opening that door to dialogue challenging for arts, culture, and heritage organizations is knowing where to start, who to talk to. Take the BCMA. Our office is in Greater Victoria on the Lekwungen territory. And 
where our office is, we are technically in the city of Victoria, but we're also in the capital regional district, which is a regional district. So if you are an organization that might be in more than one jurisdiction of a local government or might be neighboring another local government or a First Nations government, what are the differences between these forms of local government? And how broadly would you recommend people figuring out where to get started in building relationships? The right strategy for starting on the relationship really depends a fair bit on your context. Because you can have success with either form of local government, municipality, or district. But you need to understand that they are set up to operate a little differently. My area of expertise is not necessarily First Nations community government, but they also have interests that are both narrow geographically defined and more broadly defined. Municipalities and regional districts can operate on very different geographic scales. There are some places where municipalities serve one or just part of one community. Regional districts are designed to serve many communities. You describe the capital regional district in the city of Victoria. Arguably, city of Victoria has a piece of broader community. We used to call greater Victoria, but I think now that Sandwich is actually dominant in population, it's become perhaps less popular. But where, whether the municipal boundary actually reflects the extent of one sense of community and the beginning of another is, is hugely variable. And the two forms of local government also have different degrees of flexibility to spend money. So if an element of your relationship is about financial contribution, it's helpful to understand that municipal councils are responsible for a composite budget. Most services are paid for by the entire municipality through general municipal tax levy or by individually used services lots of fees. So all the proposed expenditures are added up to determine the amount of revenues required. And as long as the total revenues and expenditures remain balanced, municipal council can rearrange the spending however they need to when they levy the amount of tax. That's what they wouldn't spend minus what they think they'll get in fees and grants. The rest goes on the tax bill. Regional districts they operate services on a lot of different scales. So they're required to have a separate balanced budget for each and every service. Um, so they can't necessarily find savings in the water budget and apply it to the sewer budget, to use a very sort of technical hands-on example. They can, however, provide service to just one community, to an entire electoral area, which is like a provincial constituency, a regional basis in local government context or to a combination of several electoral areas and municipalities or to the whole region. So when you're thinking about matching what's the community that you're serving with the local government, that's where I say it depends on context. In Greater Victoria, working through the capital regional district potentially draws in participation from 13 different municipalities. If you are in Christina Lake, you're dealing with the regional district. If you are in the trail area, however, you could be approaching trail and Warfield, maybe Prevail and Montrose, maybe bring in the regional district for the rural Beaver Valley. It really depends on how you see yourself fitting with within your context. So deciding which form to approach. You may also want to consider that some municipalities will be more willing to sign on to a service and make a contribution if they know that adjacent communities are also chipping in. Others are quite happy to go it alone as a point of civic pride, and that might be a good place to start. Your organization's identity is already alive. 
Also, I wonder if some of the uncertainty about where to start stems from not knowing who specifically within a local government to talk to. I think broadly, a lot of people think, oh, I should talk to the mayor or I should talk to my council person. But I wonder if people don't fully understand the kind of dynamics between elected local government officials and local government staff, because often talking to a CAO or an approving officer or a corporate officer or there's a heritage planner in your community, many times those staff roles have a lot of ability to move an idea in front of decision makers. Can you talk a little bit about the different roles that are involved in local governments and how cultural organizations can focus on building those relationships? Absolutely. In my work career with the Ministry of Municipal Affairs, a wonderful opportunity to work extensively both with local government staff and with elected officials around the province. What I've really observed is that there is a, there's absolutely a recognition. Elected officials make the decisions, make them as, unlike other provinces where sometimes the mayor will have actual distinct powers. That's not really the case in BC, but the mayor very often acts as a spokesperson to be very influential for a municipal council. And similarly, the chair of a regional district will speak on behalf of the official voice of the broader group. It's very useful to talk with, at a minimum, the majority of the elected officials in your local government, because no one vote determines how things will go. And municipal councils and regional district boards, they make a range of decisions through bylaws and resolutions, and those bylaws can define services. I don't mean to keep harping back on the money, but I just said that's where the one of the interests will be that has some rigor and gravitas to it because it binds the organization and the budget and tax rates are set in its bylaws and it takes a majority to see one of those come through. Council can also give direction to staff through resolutions and in smaller places, actually maybe in all places, the shaping of the draft bylaws that come forward is definitely done by staff. When council begins to consider a bylaw, it, those rarely hit the council table or the floor of the board meeting room without a fair bit of preparation by staff. Sometimes they come forward as part of a, a annual routine cycle, and there's a whole process that staff guide to do things like build up a proposed budget. And other times there's a resolution from one of the elected officials that's got some support that sends staff off to go and figure out what's the information they need to make a decision and what are some credible options. So although the most visible part of government, local government decision-making is where the elected officials are deliberating, the staff are quite important in terms of creating process and understanding budget pressures and opportunities that arts and cultural organizations can have to create situations that are going to be beneficial to both the local government and to that organization or to the broader community. And staff can also be very helpful in suggesting potential partnerships. I mean, if they see a request coming in that isn't maybe the right fit, they're in a really good place to be able to notice who else is operating in the same search space and, and suggest ways of getting together to 
and make more powerful proposals. Ultimately, the purposes of a municipality include providing for good government its community, for services and laws for benefit, for stewardship of public assets of the community, and fostering economic, social, environmental well-being. The purpose of regional districts are really quite similar. So whether you're talking with an elected official or staff, they're all going to be very passionate and committed to that sense of community. Understanding how your organization contributes, you can pull out of them in conversation, but also yeah, express to them, particularly if it helps with their accountability with the community. If an organization is attempting to figure out who to talk to, whether that's an elected official or a staff, where would you find that contact information? Would you recommend going to the local government website and digging through there? Or are there other services or sites that collect that information? The specific local government website is always a good starting point. I will admit that they could be a bit of a mixed bag. I've sometimes struggled a little bit to find, I'm never sure if I am that person that the web metrics are not made up for. I'm not showing up as a resident or a business or, <laughs> or a visitor, but a lot of them do have great contact information on their websites. And you have the bonus of being able to find a lot of the documentation about what are the issues, priorities that the local governments get on their websites. Absolutely start with your local government's local website. If you need to quickly get information about who to contact range of local governments, or if you're struggling with a particular local government website, my go-to move is always civicinfo.bc.ca, which is an information clearinghouse for local governments, British Columbia, and they have a fantastic directory. So you'll find the names to contact information for all elected officials and most of the senior staff in every local government. It is kept up to date by the local governments themselves. Sometimes they might fall behind if there's been a staffing change, but that's actually where our ministry relies on as our sort of Rolodex. That's really helpful. I think that's a lot of really solid actionable advice for building a relationship. I don't want to boil everything down to money, but I think a lot of art, culture, and heritage organizations are interested in creating those relationships because they want to establish relationships of funding and support with local government. How do local governments make funding decisions? Is that something that you could encourage a local government to do, to say, create a museum or a gallery or an arts organization in a community? It is. I alluded earlier to the differences in the ways that municipalities and regional districts need to approach their budgets. And there is more there are more procedural rules for regional districts if they were to decide that they wanted to set up a museum or to provide an, an ongoing contribution to an existing institution than there would be for a municipality. The municipality can simply develop a plan, put it into their five-year financial plan that they're going to make whatever financial investments in each year. And they just go. For a regional district, they need to establish a distinct service. And because regional district decisions are usually made by a combination of the very local representatives and representatives from other parts of the region, they have some stricter rules that require approval of the local taxpayers to create its own services. So the interests of the community and factors into the decision making, regional districts are required to seek the approval of the electors when they want to create a new service. 
And the process they need to follow involves adopting a bylaw that describes the service, so a museum at such and such location, and the maximum cost of the service, which translates to a maximum annual property tax rate. And then they secure the approval of the electors, either through a referendum or an alternative approval process, before having a review by the provincial government, and then finally adopting the service. And regional districts can either operate a service directly, so it could be a regional district museum in a regional district facility, or it could provide a grant and aid to fund activities or services provided by community groups. This is a fairly common arrangement with, say, volunteer fire departments or public library associations or other community groups that provide grassroots do-it-yourself service to the community, but it's not under the control of the regional district or the municipality. And the local government doesn't necessarily want to take on control because there is the society that's running that activity or program or service has long history and has credibility and has their own base of employees or volunteers. But a regional district still needs to go through that process of making sure that the taxpayers are willing to pay for the annual contribution. Creating a new service in terms of advocacy will require support from one or more directors to bring the regional district board on side with seeking water approval. And will also benefit from support from the administration to work out what the funding arrangements might be and develop the bylaw and the budget and manage it all the way up to board in a municipal context that I mentioned earlier, majority of the council is needed to make an idea really fly. So the same principle holds true, that you need a sponsor, you need a, a champion, and you need to make sure that you've worked out with the, the proposal what are going to be the sticking points, and the, the staff can, can usually help with that contribution arrangement. And you're looking to take that to the next level. That's probably going to be a scenario where the cost of the service is going to exceed the maximum specified in the existing bylaw. And the regional district does need to go back and use a similar process to seek the approval of the participating communities for an increase in the maximum amount of the tax levy. That can happen at any time, although we do see district boards tending to consider that either where there's been rising service costs or where it's convenient to, to bundle requests to the electors on a common ballot. So there are probably a fair number of communities that are going to have questions on the ballot around amending the amount of funding towards different services in conjunction with the local elections. Local government elections are coming up in October this year. First, just a random question. Why do they happen all at once in BC? It's a good question. I'm going to make up an answer. And uh, part of it is that they are all concurrent. It allows for all the members of the district to be elected at once, either within a municipal council and then from that council, draw who will be representing the council at the board table or directly elected from among the various rural areas. Once upon a time, there was a, if we go back to 100 years, the, the term of office was actually an annual cycle. And there were some communities that were when that started to move to two-year terms, they would alternate. 
see a lot of improvement districts still do that, where the full complement of the board of trustees is not elected all at once. There, if there were five trustees, they'd be elected two, two, and one. They have a three-year term. So in my case, you have all those in current election races going on. I'm not sure whether elections BC finds it more challenging to cope with the 189 concurrent local government elections that are happening because campaign financing all gets reported through elections BC. And thinking about the elections themselves, the municipal elections, say a city of Victoria, and similarly to regional district elections, they do operate under the same general rules, which dictate the day of the general local election, what's the eligibility to stand for office, what's the eligibility to be a voter. And there's also a bit of scope for each local government through an elections bylaw to scope out whether they want to do more or less advanced voting, for example, whether they want to offer mail ballot voting, which can be costly and some controversy about whether the juice is worth things that will determine how many voting places they might have, that sort of custom. But the in general, they're very analogous. So they'll have the same nomination requirements, the same nomination period. The rules are a little different if you have a, a situation where you have a lack of candidates and what ha- happens then. But the elections are administered in the almost the exact same way between municipalities and electoral. And thinking about elections as well, right now, school board trustee elections have made the news a bit more this year than they might in a typical year. While you vote for school board trustees in October alongside local government elections, are they considered part of the local government system? They are not, although the often the local government will run the elections on behalf of um, that's a requirement under the, the legislation. And there was probably a legacy in a time when school boards and municipalities could, in fact, have been quite integrated. They haven't been for many decades, but the legislation on, on our, my colleagues over at Ministry of Education have concluded that local governments are much better positioned to have the infrastructure to administer elections. Do you have with a school district a singularity? The local governments where you have elected officials and paid professional staff, and the distinction between which makes what types of decisions is quite clear. But school trustees don't have the same authority to levy taxes that municipal council does. They're fairly constrained to management of budgeted amounts are allocated based on what's taken school taxes. So they're not in, usually in a position. After people listen to this podcast and get excited about the upcoming local government elections and they want to learn more, where can people look to learn positions of candidates, people who are running, and start to engage with some of the issues? The election race in some communities has already been underway for quite some time, even though nominations couldn't be submitted until August 30th. And candidates won't actually officially be declared until September 9th. But municipalities and regional districts on the 9th of September will provide a list of official candidates, and they're a good starting point. They may offer a brief space for candidate profiles and information or candidate debates. Those are often quite well advertised and are an opportunity. If you've got a specific set of questions that relate to arts and culture, 
if you want to be able to compare and contrast the positions of different candidates, you can ask them a question, having more candidates. And in fact, museum uh, gallery spaces might be good venues to invite local governments and the public to see themselves in your space by hosting a more candidate meeting. But we often also see local media will circulate questionnaires and publish the answers provided by candidates, depending on whether there's local newsletters, actual local papers or websites. There's usually there's lots of, of opportunities and candidates will not be shy if you ask them directly. <laughs> a lot of them would probably really appreciate being asked a set of questions. I did notice actually that the BCM website has great information and a primer on local elections. It also offers a bunch of suggestions for getting to know your local candidates. And I'm going to send some of my colleagues there potentially after we finish recording podcasts. Well, Maretta, thank you so much for your time today and sharing some of your expertise in the realm of local government in BC. I know that there is so much information here that we could explore and chat about and unpack. And I really encourage people who are listening to this to get invested in their local governments and dig into the history of how decisions are made, to start building relationships with partners in government. Because at the end of the day, in many ways, local governments are the level of government we interact with most in our daily lives. From the roads we drive on to the way our cities are planned, they really shape community. So is there anything else that you would like to say or Anything you'd like to promote that your ministry is working on right now? We've been working quite closely with the Local Government Management Association, the Union of BC Municipalities, in the lead up to the local election to provide some, some good sort of pre-candidate information and some guidance to the folks who are considering being candidates in local elections. That can be found on our website. I think on actually, if you go to civicinfo.bc.ca, they will have links to it all, which is really helpful in terms of understanding the context in which local elected officials are seeking office and talks really a lot about their roles. This is a this is always a great time to be thinking ahead and looking ahead at relationships and considering how to open doors. There's lots of good ideas out there and lots of people who are full of goodwill for making the communities that you live in a better place. Go out there and work with them. Thanks, Ryan. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you.